I'm a 22-year-old female for context. While I was living at uni by myself, I messaged a man who had a PS2 for sale on Facebook. It was a really good price and looked in perfect condition. Really should have known it was too good to be true. Anyway, I messaged him about it and he says he'll drop it off straight after work and that he is working on a building site near where I live. All good, right? Except, he kept saying he would do me a solid and drop it right to my door, even though I repeatedly said I would meet him at a nearby car park. He said, okay, fine. He wasn't happy about it, but whatever. I was getting my PS2, and I was buzzing about it. So, a few hours go by, and I walk up the hill to chill with my friend Adam, who's a bloke, and the same age as me. I flippantly mention that I'm meeting this man for the PS2, and Adam is all like, you can't just meet a random in a car park. I'm also very petite, so if someone wanted to grab me, they could, which was Adam's thinking. I agreed to let Adam come with me and actually, it was a good idea. The man texts me again asking if we were still good to meet and what I will be wearing. I thought to recognize me. So I tell him what I'll be wearing and what I look like. And then I mentioned that I was going to be with a stocky, dark haired man with a beard. The man stops replying and deletes his Facebook immediately. I never hear from him again. I can't help but think something dodgy was going to happen, and my friend making me tell the guy that I wouldn't be alone prevented it from happening. A couple of weeks ago, I just got my COVID vaccine and I was feeling really rough and stayed in bed most of the day. My partner works 10-hour shifts, so he was gone from midday to 10 p.m., and I was home alone. When I got back from my appointment, I didn't realize this at the time, but I forgot to lock the front door. I was laying in bed all day, sipping on soup and watching TV. However, I just couldn't get the thought out of my head that I should go and check the front door. My whole body felt heavy and tired, so it took a few hours to gather myself out of bed and finally check it. It was around 6 p.m. when I got up, wandered downstairs, and checked the door. And sure enough, it was unlocked. So I locked it and didn't think twice about it again. I was back upstairs, in bed, when I thought I heard the sound of the door handle rattling. I slowly got out of bed and just stood at the top of the stairs. I remember seeing the handle slowly getting pressed downward and back upward. My dog who was laying with me suddenly ran past me barking her head off at the door. And the handle suddenly stopped rattling. I didn't know whether to call the police, so I went to the upstairs spare bedroom 
to look down at the front door through the window. Surely enough, there was a large black car outside of my home. We have no immediate neighbors, so it would make absolutely no sense for that car to be there. I called the police, as at that point I was scared that they would try to force their way in. All this was taking place whilst my dog was continually barking and jumping at the door. I explained the situation to the police. They had a car come down in about 10 minutes. The second those sirens were heard down the street, I felt such an immediate relief. I don't think I realized how terrified I was, honestly. The police got to my house, and the first thing they did was check that black car. And there was no one inside or around it. The police checked my back garden, my shed, even my home. All was untouched. They tried to find the car's owner, but couldn't do so. The car was eventually hauled off a few hours later after my partner got home. From what I know, they haven't identified the owner of the car as of yet. Gives me goosebumps every time I think about this. Every time I retell this to someone. So glad that I checked that door. I'm 100% sure that it was some sort of survival instinct. I know it sounds silly, but I've never had such a strong feeling that I needed to check the front door. It was on my mind all day. I've never experienced such a persistent thought of call to action before. happened to my best friend about a year ago. We were both 18 at the time. My friend and I are female and both about 5'3 and 110 to 115 pounds. So we are easy targets. My friend and I went to the lake one day with a group of friends. We were hanging on the beach playing cornhole and listening to music. After a few hours, my friend had to leave because she had work. I asked her if she wanted me to walk her to her car, and she said no. A few minutes later, she called me, and this is the story she told me. She got to her car with no issue. Before she left, she was sitting on her phone when she heard a knock on her driver's side window. A white trash middle-aged woman was standing right outside her car, asking her to roll down her window. My friend was slightly startled, so she cracked her window slightly and asked a woman, Can I help you? The woman then told her that she needed some help with her car and had jumper cables. She asked if my friend could walk with her to her car and give her a hand. Of course, my friend told her that she wouldn't be much help, as she was not strong enough and did not know much about cars. The woman begged her to help and said, My car is just right through those trees, and pointed to an area that was completely empty. There was no car. My friend told her that she needed to go because she was going to be late for work. 
and the woman put her hand on my friend's window and aggressively said, You need to come with me! My friend threw her car in reverse and gunned it out of the parking lot. As she was driving away, she looked in the direction of where the lady was pointing saw a large man hiding behind one of the trees. We suspected that the woman was trying to lure my friend out there so that the man could grab her. They were most likely a team of sex traffickers. I've heard many people say that they use women to go up to girls because they are less sketchy. They have gone to that lake several times after and have never experienced anything like that again. Anyways, stay safe out there. I hope my friend and I never come in contact with that woman again. If you're into true crime shows or channels, you may have heard this story before, or at least the main details. I've seen it covered in several myself. Here's some context. This event happened 11 years ago. I had just turned 18 and moved to Orange County, California. I moved into an apartment complex near the community college I was attending. So a bunch of younger people around my age lived there. I didn't know a single person in California. So I would take any opportunity to socialize and meet new people. A big gathering place at the complex was at the main pool. Where people would drink and relax in the sun. Over the first few months, I would meet a bunch of people while hanging out at the pool. I never got super close to any of them, but I would see these same people several times a week. We would often go back to each other's apartments after the pool to drink or smoke some more. It was a mellow and fun environment. Three people I would see all the time were Sarah, Mike, and John. One day after hanging out at the pool, Sarah, my girlfriend, and I went back to my apartment. The three of us smoked, and Sarah went back home. It was a pretty much a regular day. The next day, we were at the pool, and there were a few of the usual people missing, but still a solid ten people, so we didn't notice. We go home later that night, and my girlfriend gets a call from one of our friends. My girlfriend playfully answers her phone and the expression on her face starts to change. She's just listening and her eyes get super wide. She says, What the fuck? Are you fucking serious? And hangs up the phone. I'm super confused, so I ask her, What? What happened? She says, Dude, the police just found Sarah dead in Mike's apartment. And Mike is nowhere to be found. What the fuck? It was insane. I asked her if he had said anything else, but she told me he was really hard to understand. We went to bed and met up with the usual crowd at the pool 
the next day, including John and his fiance. We're all talking about how unbelievable this is. Sarah was the epitome of sweet, and Mike was easily one of the kindest people I'd ever met. He was one of the first people I met when I moved. He gave my underaged ass some beer and told me stories. These were both good people. It didn't make any sense. We all kind of start speculating and just try to make sense of it. And nobody can get a hold of Mike. We all start to worry if he's safe. Somebody suggested that Mike probably killed Sarah, panicked, and ran. That was a hard pill to swallow for most of us. But it was the only thing that kind of made sense. John shook his head and said, Man, just awful. We all dispersed and went home. It would be the last time that I would see most of these people. Fast forward a month or two, and I was hanging out in my apartment one evening when my girlfriend called me frantically. Please come to my friend's apartment. You're not going to believe this shit. This is the most fucked up shit I've ever experienced, she said. I rushed over to the apartment where my girlfriend was. She was with two friends we knew from the pool. One of them was crying hysterically, while the other sat with him. My girlfriend motioned for me to go outside, and the other friend stayed back to keep consoling the other. Once we were out of earshot, she told me why her friend was crying so intensely. Her friend had just got back from being with the police. He was asked to identify pieces of a dismembered body that were found in the sewer. He was crying because he positively identified the body parts as Mike's. How did the police know they were there? They knew because John told them that he did it. Turns out that John was and still is a broke piece of shit. This bastard was engaged and didn't even have enough money for his wedding. And being a goddamn smart person, Mike had a bunch of money saved up. And John found out about it and decided to kill Mike and steal his money. John was an acting student and asked Mike to help him move some heavy things at the theater. When Mike's back was turned, John shot him. He then took Mike to another location where he dismembered his body and dumped the remains in the sewer. John took Mike's keys and phone and then went back to Mike's apartment. From there, he texted Sarah on Mike's phone, asking for her to come over because he wanted to talk. Being the sweet and caring person she was, Sarah went over to Mike's apartment to help him feel better. When she got there, John snuck up behind her and shot her. He left the apartment and framed Mike for Sarah's murder. As for John, he was caught because he's a stupid fucking idiot. He paid some kid to withdraw money from Mike's ATM account. Cops found the kid and he told them about John. They quickly tracked John down 
at his fucking bachelor party. And he was taken in for questioning, where he would admit that he murdered Sarah and Mike, who would later be sentenced to death. After the sentencing, Mike's dad spoke to John across the courtroom and said, My only regret is that the state of California doesn't allow you to kill you myself. It turns out that his fiance tried to help him hide the evidence. She was sentenced to time as well. All in all, this is a pretty dark story. Aside from the violence, what messes me up is that this guy had literally just murdered two of our friends. And he was at the pool, like, genuinely acting upset, sad, and confused. He's a horrible human. And I hope he suffers for the rest of his life. My deepest and continued condolences go out to the family of the two innocent people that were killed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. start by saying that I'm 19 years old right now. These hauntings occurred from 7 to 8 years old. I'm not a religious person at all. I'm one of those people that has to see something to believe it. When people tell me stories of how this happened or that happened to them, I always try to come up with a logical explanation for what they experienced. That being said, this shook me to my core. I avoid sharing what happened to me with other people simply because I cannot even think about this time in my life without swelling up in tears. As a child, I didn't like scary movies, ghost stories, none of that stuff. I was scared of the dark, and bedtime for me was a struggle because my mother would have to sit beside my bed until I went to sleep before she was able to go to her room. After falling asleep, I would always wake up at around 2 a.m. and be scared that I was alone. And I would walk to my mother's room down the hallway to get into bed with her and go back to sleep. The only people in the house during this time were my older sister, my mom, and myself. The first incident occurred when I woke up in the middle of the night again and I got up to go to my mother's room. When I got to her room and opened the door, that's when I saw it. An extremely pale, short, bald man was sitting in the middle of her bed. I was paralyzed in fear and just stared at the man for a few seconds, trying to understand what I was looking at. The man's head picked up and looked at me as I stood in the doorway. His face was completely smooth. No eyes, mouth, anything. Just a powder 
white face. The moment I saw him look up at me, I immediately collapsed to the floor and started screaming and crying and calling for my mother to wake up. My mom jumped up out of bed, ran over to me, and tried to calm me down. I was trying to tell her that there was a man in her room, but she kept telling me it was just a bad dream, that I needed to go back to bed. I looked around the room intending to show her, but I didn't see the man anymore. When I calmed down a bit, I asked if she and I could both stay in my room for the night because I was too frightened to sleep alone and I didn't want to go back into her room. The morning after, I tried to explain to my mom what I had seen the night before, but she didn't want to hear it. She shrugged it off and told me that it was just a bad dream. I was so sure of what I had seen and I tried to tell my sister, but she also dismissed me. After this experience, I was terrified that it would happen again. The following nights were horrible. My mother would tuck me into bed like usual and wait until I fell asleep to leave. Except now, I was faking that I was sleeping, so she would go into her room. When she left, I would get up and turn all the lights in my room on and play around with my action figures or play on the PlayStation. I would do this until it was the next morning. During the day, I would take naps on the couch, but my mother didn't like when I did that. She wanted me to get out and play during the day so I was able to sleep well at night. Obviously, this led to me losing an insane amount of sleep because I was too scared to sleep at night. But my mom wasn't going to let me sleep throughout the day. It had been around two or three weeks since this first incident happened. I was starting to think that maybe my mom was right and maybe that it was just all a bad dream. One day, I was particularly exhausted and fell asleep on the couch in the living room and slept until the middle of the night. I woke up to a pitch black room and immediately began to have a panic attack. Even when I would wake up in my room, I had nightlights that always stayed on. I got off the couch and tried to use the power light on the TV to help me have a point to walk to because my room was the first room in the hall coming out of the living room. When I got to my room and opened the door, the man was sitting on the edge of my bed. As terrified as I was, I slowly closed my door back shut hoping that the man hadn't seen me open the door. And I ran to my mom's room, screaming and crying again, telling her that he was in my room. She gets up and walks with me to my room. And again, there isn't anything in there. I remember being so confused at the time and questioning what was real and what wasn't real. I told my mom that I wanted to stay with my dad because I was too scared to stay with her anymore. After contacting my dad, I told him everything that had been happening at my mom's, and he talked to her and decided that I would come live with him. Talking to my dad about it was tough too, 
because he didn't believe anything I was saying. He also thought I was having bad dreams because I watched scary movies or something at my mother's. Fast forward a few years and my mom married a man that had three children, the youngest of which was six years old. Over the time that they stayed in the house, the youngest boy started to experience similar things to what I had. When my mom told me that he was saying the same things as when I stayed there, I wanted to be like, I told you so. At this point, my mom believed me and sold the house not long after. Nowadays, we just refer to her old house as the haunted house. It's still really hard to talk to other people in person about it. For some reason, it just makes my eyes water uncontrollably. I just thought that I would share this. If you listened this far, thank you. I am a moderately typical teenager from Japan, and ever since I can remember, I have throughout my lifetime had recurring encounters with some strange people. Be it in terms of luck or behavior, these encounters can happen anywhere from a week's space to several months. And it always seems like when I do, it was their intention to meet me. My most recent one was on my way home from school. During my walk, I was looking down at my phone for a short moment, about to text one of my friends I plan to have over at my house later. And as I looked up, a young man looking like he was in his 20s was approaching me from a few meters ahead. This confused me for a minute as it was a straight and fairly long path ahead. I thought to myself that while I may have been looking at my phone, I would surely have noticed him coming from the corner of the path a good length away. Or at least, I expected him to be closer to that corner. But there he was, approaching from the middle as if he had appeared from thin air. His hair was dark brown, a bit unkept but still good looking. And he had green eyes. His clothes were fairly ordinary too, keeping a sort of laid-back summer style to it. The most remarkable thing about him was his tattoo, or mark per se. It's a black line running from his left chin and down underneath his shirt. As he got close enough for conversation, he stopped me and asked me for my name. When I told him, he said that he had heard about me before. This confused me, as I'm not exactly a celebrity, but I thought nothing more of it. We then had some boring small talk, but he genuinely seemed pretty cheerful. Just as he was about to take off, he told me that I should probably wait around for my friend. He didn't give me much of a chance to respond to this before walking off in the direction he came from. I thought about what he said and turned around to walk back to school. I glanced behind my back not long after 
only to find that he was nowhere to be seen. As I made it back to my school, I sure enough find my friend waiting by the gate. She apparently thought we were going to walk to my place together and had been waiting for me for quite a long time. I apologized and we began walking. And well, that's the end of it. I didn't tell her about the encounter, but I sure as hell thought about it when she left. I didn't tell him or hint about my friend at all. So how would he have known? These types of encounters have kept on happening throughout my life, sometimes very frequently, and I don't know why. These people I meet just seem too unreal and usually know something I never told them about, which leads me to believe that these people aren't human at all. I might post some more stories about this if anybody is interested. I'd like to know if someone might have some answers to who or what these people could be and why I keep encountering them. So, the Warrens lived in Connecticut, and that's where I grew up. This happened when I was like 14 years old, and it happened right after Ed Warren passed away. Me and my dad were staying at my aunt's house one night. It was a two-family house, so her and my uncle, as well as my cousin and her husband and their two children, all lived there. It was a new house they had just built and moved into a couple of months back something I found about later. Leading up to that night, my aunt was having crazy dreams where a little boy would appear in her dreams every night and lead her out of bed. My aunt said the outside of the house was a very bright light that shone through the windows to the point where she couldn't see anything outside. And the little boy would try to lead her outside. My aunt would always be found in the morning by my uncle around the house, passed out on the bathroom floor, living room, or even the garage one time. They just assumed my aunt was sleepwalking. So, anyway, that night at about 2 a.m. or so, everyone hears this loud screaming coming from the upstairs living room. Me, my dad, my aunt, and uncle all wake up and run upstairs because it sounded like someone was hurt. We get up there, and my cousin and her husband are all in the living room, and my cousin's son, who was about two years younger than me, was sitting in a rocking chair. His back was to us, but my cousin and husband were freaking out. So my dad and uncle walked over to my cousin. My uncle touched his shoulder. He turned his head around, and it was bright red. His eyes were bloodshot, and his skin was starting to turn this weird, grayish color when they tried to ask him what was wrong he started speaking in latin and was rocking in his chair back and forth now he was known as kind of a prankster so my uncle and cousin's husband thinking he's playing around yelled at him to stop and went to grab him out of the chair but when they touched him this time he let out a loud scream again in latin 
and his eyes started rolling to the back of his head. We were all freaking out at this point, not knowing what to do. My cousin went and got a glass of water, thinking that maybe he's sleepwalking, and threw it on him. He just laughed in his deep voice. My aunt was a pretty holy woman, so she would keep crosses and angel statues and even holy water in the house. So she ran back downstairs to get the holy water, because at this point, we realized something weird was going on. My dad and my uncle grabbed him out of the chair, was kicking and trying to fight them the whole time, and held him on the floor. My aunt brings over the holy water and rubs it on her hands. My cousin lifts his shirt up while he's being held down, and my aunt places her hand on his back. It literally burnt him. It left a burn mark the exact size of her hand on his back. He screamed, and screamed for a couple of seconds before he ended up passing out. I'm just standing there the whole time, absolutely terrified, not moving, just watching this all happen. So he's passed out. Not knowing what to do, they call the police. It's probably around 3 a.m. at this point. So the police come with paramedics and talk to us all. The meds check out my second cousin to see if he's okay. He ended up waking up, and they said he was fine, save for the burn mark on his back. Not knowing what to do, the police recommended that they give Mrs. Warren a call, since she was a famous paranormal investigator and lived right in Connecticut. So, nobody ends up going to bed at all, and me and my dad leave in the later morning. Now, this next part I wasn't there for. About a week later, my aunt gives Mrs. Warren a call, tells her what happened, and invites her to the house. Apparently, Lorraine knew what the house was about before she even stepped foot in there. Apparently, the newly built house was built on land that housed some kind of portal to the other dimension. The little boy in my aunt's dreams was trying to lead my aunt outside through the portal because if a human entered the portal, it would be open enough for demons to constantly go through. Apparently, one got through and was able to possess my second cousin because he wasn't strong enough to fight it. Well, Lorraine ends up doing a cleansing of the house to get rid of it all and close it permanently. They ended up living in that house for another eight years without any problems ever again before selling it and moving out of state. I never stayed over there again. To this day, that night still haunts me.